What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Dragzine Podcast. I'm your host, Senior Associate Editor Brian Wagner, and this week on the show, we have the People's Champ, Mo Hall. Mo, what's going on? What's happening? Thanks for having us. No problem, man. Great to have you on. Glad to see you finally made it back home from the uh, epic adventure that was Lights Out. That's uh, motorhome issues and whatnot, because I always tell people that uh, half the adventure is literally getting to and from the track. Yeah, the adventure uh, is the correct word. It was certainly an adventure getting there and uh, even more of an adventure getting back. But, hey, we got to share the trophy every time we turned around, so I cared half as much. Yeah, it, it makes you forget half the pain, right? Mm. I don't know if it forgets the pain. It just makes you tolerate it more, that's yeah. for sure. Oh, I, I have been on the side of the road at gross o'clock in the morning changing trailer tires along the side of the freeway run out of gas with you know trying to make it to a to a to a gas station literally on the exit ramp i mean it's it's never a dull moment Mm -mm. now anytime you spend time on the road you put you know we only do i think 12 or 13 races a year but you'll put forty thousand miles on that thing yeah so it's a lot of time and we we haven't broke down but once or twice in the last five or six years and we've had a lot of good good success so it is what it is yeah yeah like i said you just you, you learn to uh plan for the uh, worst and rejoice the best am i right that's right that's that's correct it's just like drag racing yeah. getting to the drag race is just like drag racing you're gonna hurry up and wait you're gonna sit in that seat and stare at the same road for hours yeah yeah exactly and you know it's uh i try to you know keep it in perspective too because the the guy that i crew for lost a trailer with the car in it on the way to the track one time and it thankfully it didn't roll over in the ditch and bill lutz recently was going to the world cup and he was going around a turn he said all of a sudden i looked to the right and there's my trailer right beside me that's a bad day at the track or on the way to the track on the way to the track yeah no i mean in light of what just happened in texas i mean all the stuff is uh put into perspective real quick when you have incidents like that go on yeah and it it kind of uh, it's made me a better driver overall because I give people more than enough room to stop and do what they need to do because it always seems like whenever I'm pulling a trailer that someone thinks that I can instantly stop my truck even with thousands of pounds behind me it's just it's gonna stop just the same right yeah yeah they uh, you know I've always I've always driven big trucks and and uh, from a young age done that it, people just assume that their space just dive on in there they don't they don't understand that we leave that space so that we don't hurt somebody else. And when you jump in there, you're putting yourself at risk because I've got no control over it. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, anybody that's taken a basic physics course understands that in the battle of truck versus anything other than a truck, you're not going to win. Uh-uh. No, it's it's a hard day. I can promise you. Yeah, that's yeah, it's, it's something no one wants to deal with. And that 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 again, that opens up an interesting can of worms because I've seen guys that are driving, you know, rigs that should have a CDL that don't, and that 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 can go down a whole different road with some people. They get infuriated over it. I'm just, you know, I'm like I see how you drive your race car. How the hell are you driving an 80 foot rig and not tearing anything up? <laughs> you know, it's like for real, man. You, that's yeah. There, there's some of that stuff. It's uh. You, you wonder sometimes, and then you follow some people that you think are just going to be maniacs, and you're like, dude, the gas pedal's on the right. Let's go at least 65. Yeah. Oh, I, I've been behind both. I've been behind people in a rig that have done like 90 plus. I'm like, this isn't even close to being safe. Then other people, I'm like, 
we're getting passed by like little postal trucks. Come on, man. Let's let's get let's get some heat on this thing. That's right. Now, you know, you had some recent success at, at Lights Out. We'll, we'll talk about that in a minute, but I want to do the old, you know, little rewind trick. And I want to talk, kind of get your story and get it out to our listeners about, you know, when I, when I first met you, it was up at the World Cup many years ago, and you still had the black Camaro, yeah. and you're racing out Law 10-5, and you're pitted next to us. Came over, super nice guy, just come over hanging out and talking with us. What I think a lot of people might be interested in is hearing your story before the black Camaro, because most people don't typically just jump into Outlaw 10-5. There's somewhat of a uh, a path, if you will. And, you know, what what was your racing path that brought you to where you are? Well, I think for most, uh, you know, like most of us that were probably into uh, Outlaw 10-5 stuff, it really started with street racing. Um maybe getting wise enough to get away from the street, having jobs. If you lost your license, you couldn't run on the street. It was uh, maybe just brains uh, got us away from the street. You go to a local track where people started running uh, at back in, in our day, it was a true 10 and a half inch tire class. And that evolved into a outlaw 10 and five uh, when that was being formed back in the day. So I kind of jumped in that at the beginning and did more local than, been travel stuff and then we moved around to start traveling around and that led us from the Camaro to the Corvette and then the Corvettes you know we've had some pretty good success had good success in the Camaro but the Corvette certainly has had its uh had its day yeah and you know you've been early you mentioned you, you were kind of there at the the infancy of Outlaw 10.5 and what was that like kind of looking back at it now being a part of something that blew up to and still is, I think, in my opinion, a huge, you know, part of outlaw radio or outlaw small tire racing. Yeah, I think, uh, honestly, if we want to look at it the right way, I, I think that uh, Outlaw 10.5 formed outlaw racing. I think that's where most of that began. And that uh, Orska series back in the day really led its hands to a bunch of different classes that ran into limited drag radial, started the 315 stuff the, the radio versus the world stuff it it really kind of started that whole outlaw style racing um lots of fun uh the cool thing about it is is lots of good people that are in it i mean there's a lot of us that are just plain buttheads but at the end of the day it's a lot of good people you have a good time doing it uh good competition you get the best of the best that are out there doing it who just don't want to go do the typical pro mod thing uh, not that there's anything wrong with that. I, I enjoy ProMod. I love watching Jimmy race. I love uh, being around those guys. But at the end of the day, the outlaw racing is, uh, I think, more fun. It's more exciting. Small tire stuff is just cool to me. Yeah, and I remember seeing my, you know, grew up around bracket racing and going to NHRA events. And I remember seeing my first small tire, uh, you know, slick tire outlaw race. And it was just like a like the heavens opened up and just poured race gas upon my soul, and it just opened my eyes up to you know I was blessed to this new thing. Is you know nitro cars are cool, but they ain't doing wheel stands halfway down the track getting sketchy kind of cool. If you know what I'm saying. Yeah, that's the part of it. I mean, that's uh, Joel, one of the guys on the crew. He he still every time we go in somewhere, there will be the story that comes out with him. That's. Uh, man I, I miss the days of doing 600 foot wheel stands and it's you know it was fun uh the issue with it be, began to be the speed the et the tire just couldn't do what everybody was wanting to do and uh 
everybody kind of progressed towards the radial. And then when the Outlaw 10-5 kind of went away down south, the only thing left was up north. And Jimmy and uh, Cecil County really kept that going for, Christ, the last 10 years, uh, honestly. And uh, as that as everybody started to want to gather up and down the, the East Coast and, and race with each other, it progressed more towards the full radial stuff. And I mean, there's an advantage to the way the tracks are being, being prepped. If you don't have a radial, you, you're at a disadvantage. So that's where all the ones who want to run up front swap over to a radial and let's go and kind of going off of that then you've got what the pdra has done with their you know their two slick tire outlaw classes and i was at the norwalk event last year when they when they had the 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 equivalent of outlaw 10-5 there and to me like you know call call it what it is the radial tire is faster you know data numbers don't lie but the excitement of the slick tire racing and the flow of the event for me I was like, man, this is, you know, it's cool to still see people doing this and being able to not watch tractors go up and down the track all the time. Yeah, no, uh, Tyler and them did a smart thing. I mean, it's, uh, they had outlaw 10-5 when everybody kind of switched over to radial and they were having to do some track prep in between rounds or in between classes. And not that they did an exorbitant amount like you see at like Yellow Bullet or, or one of Duck's races, but enough to to get us to run some good ETs. And they really wanted to get away from that, which was smart, I think. And they put together a class that really fits a group of people who really want to run that, that type of tire and that type of car. And uh, I'm excited for them. I think they've got the good things coming and I think they've done a smart thing in putting that in their program. Yeah. It just, it fits what they do. Everything else is on slicks. Let's not try to like put a radial shuffle in there because again, like you said, to do it right, it's not easy at all. You know, all the internet track prep experts out there seem to think all you got to do is, you know, do a little gluey gluing and draggy draggy and, you know, all of a sudden you're going three whatevers. That's not how this works. <laughs> no. no, I mean, everybody saw it lights out. You know, we, we got the guys who are, who are uh, complaining whether they're right or wrong about the track prep in, in the heat of the day. Look, the track prep was great. It was phenomenal, but it's warm. Uh, anytime it's warm, the radial just has a disadvantage. You have to have equipment to make that work. And yeah, we can go up and down a racetrack, but you're not always going to go fast. No. So that's where it has its disadvantages. And everybody wants to say, well, you should have prepped the track. Look, they did they did what they could to get the track the best it could. It's 115 degrees. It is going to be what it is. Yeah, you so, you can't beat that, Mother Nature as hard as you try. You're just you're not going to do it. No, we used to joke all the time and call radial races vampire races because they only wanted to run at night because that's where you can make all the uh, the hero hits. But you know, if you want to go to a race, you got to race some during the day, and that's when it, that's when the the action happens. But that's where the 10-5 tire has an advantage and. Look, at the end of the day, everybody doesn't want to just go to every single race and watch the cookie cutter car go down a track. Seeing a stock appearing car, that's cool. Oh, yeah. That's what I love about 10-5 racing. Like I said, what the PDRA is doing, there was such a cool variety of vehicles. And it wasn't all just Fox body Mustangs. It was just there was a cool variety, different power adders. And it was one of those moments where I'm kind of like sitting back and watching this. I'm like, this, this, is, this was the smart play. This is going to keep people entertained because the biggest shuffle you had was about 10 minutes to scrape some rubber off the top. And then, you know, there's fire in the pipes again. Yeah. 
Yep, it, it keeps the action moving. Like I said, I think uh, uh, Tyler, Tommy, and Judy uh, did a really smart thing in putting that in to their program, and I think it's going to help get some more fans in, in the seats, and it uh, obviously puts cars on a racetrack, and they'll have a good following. There's a good group of people who are putting cars together for that, getting their stuff back out for that. I think it's good. Yeah, and the other thing you got to look at, too, is because the closest equivalent is Pro 275, and not everybody can afford to go Pro 275 racing. Let's be 100% real. That's quickly becoming a 360s class, and it's not easy to pull that off. Yeah, that's uh, like we've never been 360s, so i, I got to say that it's it's more difficult than we know how to do right now. Um, not a simple thing the the pro line group and the uh, fletcher cox and those guys who have run 360s thus far great group of guys who've done a really good job and obviously done better than we have done uh to this point but it, it bottom 370s class is where i think donald really wants that thing to sit and i think he's done a pretty good job with the rules thus far yeah. you know every everybody's not going to be happy and i think that's a, a, a mark of doing the job right is if everybody is having a small complaint here or there oh i've but mo i've put on enough events to know that if someone isn't complaining on the internet i'm worried because that means no one's watching what you're doing or paying attention or participating that's that's how that works right that's correct and and like that 370 number i think it is pretty solid because you know looking at how that event unfolded in you know we'll talk about pro 275 here Again, it, when when the conditions were there, the cars were packed in tight, and the racing was good. Yep. That's what you want to see. Yep. And it was different combinations, too. That's the other cool thing about that class. Yeah, I mean, you have them all. I mean, you've got screw blowers, roots blowers, uh, turbochargers. You've got um, the hell just got Tidwell has everything but a nitrous car. And all of his cars are running pretty close together. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it's a very close group. It's 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 pretty much based off the Outlaw 10.5 stuff. They just changed some weights around to accommodate what the 275 can do to make everybody competitive. Um, difference in 10.5 was you had rules for types of combos and applications with the combo. He adjusts the rules for maximum effort. So you got a screw blower. You got it as overdriven as it can be. You got a turbo. You got the biggest ones you can have. You got nitrous, you you're not falling short, and if you've got a pro charger, you got the best. And if any of that isn't there, then you're not going to be at the very front. And that's where it comes to what you were saying. You know, the, the cost of that class is a little bit more to run if you're if you're running one of the boosted combinations because you got to have the top of the line stuff in order to run at the top of the field. Yeah, I mean, you have to have the top of the line stuff, and I think the other part of the equation that goes with all forms of small tire drag racing is you have to test and work on your combination at all times because what one lights out 13 might not win no mercy or yeah no mercy 14 that's just a fact of the matter right yeah no it's um we whatever we ran at the so we won lights out 12 we won sweet 16 we did not do well at Yellow Bullet because we changed the car because we knew damn good and well we couldn't show up at the next race running the same stuff because we were maxed out. So you have to get better every round. If you don't work on your stuff and try to learn how to go faster, you're in trouble. Oh. They're going to catch you and they're going to run by you. We 
we showed up to the World Cup one year with a bunch of untested stuff with the hopes and dreams of being able to use all the testing time before the event. And of course, mother nature stepped in. There were some issues and we ended up tearing the car up, setting it on fire and having a generally a bad day. But it was the fact that we knew going to that event, if we did not try this new combination of stuff, we weren't, you know, we may make the field, but we're not going to go rounds. We needed yeah. we needed every bullet in the chamber we had, plus a spare magazine. It's you know nitrous racing is uh, I love it. Um, having nitrous on the cars is fun for us. I enjoy it. I wouldn't race any other type of combination. But one thing you learn when you're running against a, a bunch of different combinations, you cannot just sit still. I won lights out thirteen. That car is getting redone that car is getting reset up that car is getting gone through front to back and we are trying to make more power and trying to make the car go faster can't come to sweet 16 with the same stuff because we're just going to get left behind no and again it comes down to and it's something we've talked about on the show with every guest within you know certain conscript is that you use the data that you you know you picked up from your good runs and your bad runs and you sit down and you look at it while you're eating dinner or you're on a flight and you pour through and you find those little spots you can start picking away at it. And if you pick up enough of those little spots, you're going to pick up some big numbers. Well, you know, you take that, the example of just take uh, lights out on uh, Wednesday. We got there. We wanted to, we wanted to get there in time to get uh, Wednesday night qualifier. And, and obviously that didn't happen for all the reasons in the world. When we, woke up thursday morning we totally reset up the car we went out and made a good clean safe run to go a to b to get data and then we came back and tried to go 960s on 120 degree track and that lesson taught us how to go 980s on a 120 degree track and that's the reason we won the race yeah but so, that we need to record that and put that on a loop so people understand what it takes to go fast. That it's not necessarily hero prep isn't going to save you. Being able to set up a car and read the conditions is what will. Yeah, it's you know we're we're fortunate. I think we've done a very good job up until uh, getting the opportunity to work with Brandon. But once he started working with Jimmy, I, I uh, was on my knees begging for him to come over and, and mess around with our stuff and. Uh, it's working with the best in the business. That guy understands better than anybody I know what it takes to make a car go lap after lap, if not the exact same number, a better number, and get the best out of every part that we have every single round. And that's what it takes, bottom that's right. line. That's right. I, I shared a very funny picture on the Dragzine Facebook page of Jason Lee in the car, fully suited up, banging it like he was at the ready line making adjustments yep. to the tune and i'm like if that doesn't sum up what it takes to go 349 like he eventually did nothing else will yeah yeah it's uh if you just were to take a a walk around with brandon and watch his pacing steps we are never sitting up waiting to go we're never sitting at the the bottom of the hill waiting for somebody to you know call us so we can pull up we're at the trailer and i'm yelling at him bro second call everybody's up there okay go ahead and disconnect 
the very last second, the very last decision, the very last weather read. And then there's a laptop in the car that if anything happens, it, it will get changed there for that specific reason. Everything has to be perfect in order to make the runs. Yeah. And it, it, that's the advantage, I think. And it, I always get a kick out of when I see bracket racers, some bracket racers kind of kind of rib and you know crack the jokes about you know it takes so many crew guys to run one of these cars and i'm like well yeah because we're trying to put an insane amount of horsepower down to a little teeny tiny tire on this track surface huge difference between trying to put a lot of horsepower down on a slick and a you know a, a two rack dragster huge difference and that's what it takes where you have to be able to get those last second reads where you again are at the ready line and you know something changed and you got to be able to dial it up or dial it down to to make yeah. the to make the full ride yeah i mean it's funny if you watch uh if you watch us in line uh, i want to say it was uh yellow bullet last year uh we pulled up to the line they had a small i think it was an issue with the class before and then he did some track prep for us to go out. And between that issue and the track prep going out, it was 30 minutes. Well, that 30 minutes, the conditions changed like they do up there in September from great to oh hell. And you can watch what happens with a lot of these guys in these cars. The front end come off. The trunk lid come off. We're taking weight out of the back and putting weight on the front. We're slinging weight around it. People think it's funny to watch us put 10 pounds on the nose. 10 pounds is the difference between staring at the sky and praying or celebrating. Yep. That's the decisions these guys are making at the moment I'm getting in the car. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly, you know, 30 minutes, you know, to say that's a lifetime, especially when conditions are changing that much is an understatement. Like a nitro crew chief would have probably chewed his fingers down to the, to the hand oh, itself no. just because, yeah. You know, in their minds, crew chiefs' minds are very interesting places because it's like, I don't think there's a way to describe how much is like going on inside that mind. It's like a, it's like when you go to a concert, a big festival, and there's like five bands playing at the same time on different stages. That's what's going on in a crew chief's mind. Yeah. It, it, the, the lucky part for, for like me, um, I'm fortunate I have a brand and I have complete faith. The guy says, send it. I close my eyes and send it. I really don't care. But if you, he's not there and he's remote tuning, I'm sitting there worried about weight. You're concerned that you – did I put – am I 5 too heavy? Am I 5 too light? Do I need to put 10 here? Is this good here? Is this good there? Those guys are going through that a million times a minute just trying to make sure that they did everything right so that you can't come back and say, guess we could have done better there. You, you know – Let's talk about Brandon Schweitzer for a second. Like I've got to talk with him before doing a, an article about nitrous, and in our 25-minute conversation, I learned more than I ever thought I would learn about nitrous. <laughs> you know, he, he's, cool an, he's an interesting guy because, you know, look at what he's done with Mr. Halsey, and, you know, he's stacked up, you know, PDRA championships like their cord would. In your success that you've had, what's it like working with someone that is just that has that kind of, you know, success. I, you know, it's not about the success for me. Uh, really not for Jimmy either. Yes. The success is what we strive for and that's what we all work for. So it's not, don't, don't take the, the term. It's not about the success for us. It's about, uh, 
I believe when I get in that race car, I'm doing everything I can do not to screw up because I know he did everything he could do not to screw up. He's the coolest kid in the room. He's the smartest guy in the room, but he's the quietest guy in the room. So unless you get to know him, you know, a lot of people think he's standoff and he doesn't like this or like that. Cool, cool cat, really easy to work with. Uh, great at communication. Um, and literally just as the coolest kid in the room. That, that totally makes sense because when, I, when I've when i seen him at events, you know, I'm shooting pictures, it doesn't look like the guy's pulse rate and heartbeat is barely above someone that's, you know, taking a nap. Just <laughs> like you see some dudes and they're just like completely on the chip ready to rip and he just looks like he's, you know, getting ready to do his taxes. Like there's just – there's no – I'm not going to say sense of urgency, but it's just like there's like this this level of like warrior zen about how he's acting that, you know, it, it kind of lines up with that. Yeah, you know, the the we laugh because we know if you ever see me walk up to him, I'm generally telling him it'll be all right. And what you don't see is the facade in his mind. He knows he's done everything possible. He thinks there's two more things he can do, but he knows he's done everything possible. So when he's up there, he's totally confident that everything is, is going to go perfectly. What the facade is with him is, is you could pop him with a penny. He is so wound tight and so anxious about that run because he doesn't want to disappoint you. Well, I think that too, and that probably plays into the fact that he's probably pretty competitive individual as well wanting to try to make sure he's knocking out the knocking out the lights every time he can yeah absolutely he wants to do everything right he wants to give you you know listen i've walked back into that trailer and lights out 13 um when we had the flickering light issue man my lights were horrible after that i was squeezing the the trans trans brake with my foot and I walk back in many times and high five him. Thank you for winning that round because he did it, not me. You you know there's a you know you're gonna get the best out of that car that is possible at that given time. And it's it's very interesting to watch a nitrous car make a rip these days because you know for, for those that know that there's a lot of violence that's happening in that first hundred feet of horsepower application but then down track it still seems like that thing is lugging so hard like i really noticed that on a couple of your, your your single passes that it just that thing just seems like it is constantly ripping and digging is that the ultimate like you know picture perfect you know tee shot that you guys are looking for each time yeah it's um like this guy focuses on where everything is like the engine RPM needs to be perfect. How do you guess that when you're sitting back at the pit and then you go run 45 minutes later? He he wants that sound to be what it's supposed to be so that he knows the lockup's on at the right time. It's gear changing at the right time. It's getting in through high gear at the right time. Everything is, you know, the dump truck's running just fine down the racetrack if it sounds like a dump truck. And he puts a lot of effort into that. And uh, to hear it go down through there, I, I get a big grin on my face when I can feel that thing start chattering from the lockup coming in and it's starting to raise the front end up and it's starting to grunt real loud in the car. And you're like, <laughs> you got it. Yep. It's, it's, it's pulling itself down. It's just trying to do everything it can to push through all the forces that are happening. That's, 
Yeah, that, that's pretty wild with a nitrous car. Yeah. It, yeah, it's it's more apparent when you when you get single runs out of one that really runs good. You really get when there's two nitrous cars on the track, you don't know which one's making which, and they don't do them at the same time, so you kind of mix up where things are. When one makes a solid run, it does sound really cool. It's like hearing a, a quarter mile turbo car when it gets to yeah. the point where it's in full party mode. It's like just, you know, it, yeah, duck. Yeah, it's like Alex Laughlin said. There's two, you know, there, this car launches twice off the line mm-hmm. and then at the eighth mile mark, which. Mm-hmm. Anybody that's driven a high horsepower turbo car can confer that when that thing is fully wound up and one to one, you better just make sure you've got a uh, everything pulled tight because it's about to get weird in a hurry. Yeah, yeah. The, the The funny thing is, is how smooth everybody thinks these runs are. I would, uh, I would love to have somebody jump in these things and watch the windshield go blurry about three hundred feet and yeah. understand what it feels like to be pitch black outside with some lights on and the blurriness of the windshield while you're going 200 mile an hour. Yeah, yeah, that's – you go through and look at the G-meter and, and some of the data, it's like, wow, that looks like that might be mildly terrifying. And that's when everything <laughs> goes right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. That's if that's if we're on a good rip. Yeah, that's not, you know, when you've sent a hood scoop in a low orbit or it looks like, you know, fountains of oil are spraying out of places are not supposed to go. You know, that that's when things get not so fun. Yeah, that's for sure. You know, and then on the the flip side of that, you got blower cars when they got the party pulley on, and they they're trying to just destroy everything in front of them. And I'm sure as a a, a nitrous driver, you're probably trying to concentrate on what you're doing. All you hear is you know screaming and blower happening, you know, to whatever other side you're at. Yeah the the funny the funny part is like when we, like when Jeff Miller's beside me, I couldn't tell you if my car goes into on the chip or not. I have no idea. All I can hear is that loud sob screaming at me across the the hallway it's fun to listen to those things when you're on top end you're in the car just laughing like how in the world is somebody sitting behind that loud pile of poop yeah oh it it's like being a, at the top end when you know a, a screw you know one of the alcohol funny cars dragsters or you know a, a blown pro mod goes screaming by at 250 plus mile an hour it's a i need that as my ringtone yeah there i will say this much as i hate those those loud piles of earring and things that it is the coolest sound in the world at a thousand feet. Those things are a freight train running at you and I'm giggling the whole way. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a different kind of deal. You know, it's one of my friends is getting ready to pick up a, uh, you know, a, a pro street kind of build car and it's got an 871 supercharger on it. And he's like, man, do I want to ditch that and get something else? I'm like, no, no, you will be the coolest person pulling into cars and coffee because of blower surge and whining. I'm like, that's what makes what you're buying so damn cool. Yeah, it's hot rod. Yeah. It, it spells hot rod. Yeah. I mean, it's like it could be a 13-second car, but it sounds like the baddest mofo there. <laughs> that's right. The spiders run. Yeah. It, it, the same thing I always joke with, uh, with you know, big block nitrous cars is it's – you could always tell when, you know, a nitrous pro mod or, you know, a radial tire car – an outlaw 10 five cars firing up because it, it sounds like the Tyrannosaurus Rex from Jurassic Park roaring. Nothing else sounds like a big cubic inch nitrous motor kind of coming to life. Yeah. Yeah. We've, we've, uh, our, our latest additions, they, um, we put one in an Orlando, uh, right before Orlando, we sent everything down to Brandon and they put one in at his shop 
and I got a text message that said, how many days can we test? I said, well, there's only, I only get there two days before the event. And he's like, well, we might want to stop somewhere and you might want to leave early. And I, I just sent him back a question mark. And he said, this thing sounds like a monster I've never been able to tame. I was like, oh, sweet. So we get there on Thursday morning and get into fired up. And he actually walks out. Brandon will never walk out. He walks out and stands at the door and just staring at me. And I'm like, yeah, okay. I started up and that thing starts ripping. And I'm like, oh, God, it's an animal. It, uh, these these Fulton motors that we got in, uh, in mind at Jimmy's, boy, they are some mean sounding SOBs. They just they have a different kind of crackle to them, you mm-hmm. know, and they, they had a different store. And even when you know you all used to run bullhorns and, you know, have gorilla flames and whatnot, even then they had a different noise. But through the zoomies, they just sound a lot more sharp and angry. Yeah. And, and a lot of that is just uh, is Brandon. We we when I say we, Jimmy and I, uh, we'll start the cars up and, and warm them up and they'll they'll have a certain response to them. We'll go in the first round of testing and they'll have a certain response to them. It's a little bit different go into second round of testing and they'll have a response to them that's a lot different and by the third round the things are as crisp as they can be you crack the throttle i mean you you knock the throttle down a quarter of an inch and it goes to 2500 and outside it sounds like i hit 10 grand and it just sounds like an animal that you're not going to be able to contain that's brandon that's that's how you know he's paying attention and the funniest thing though is no matter what they will never be louder than phil hines's car ever (laughs) true story that like that car i don't know what he has going on with that pro charger running through those headers but that thing makes my head ring more than a screw-blown hemi that that defeats science yeah i don't uh i always tell them when they start them cars up they sound really cool when they start a burn up burnout out somebody needs to pull the plugs out of that thing good god they're too loud Oh, I joke with Phil all the time. I'm like, dude, what do you hate more, your hearing or your valve train when you do a burnout? Like, I can't figure it out because that thing just, it sounds like it is about to curplode. And it, I mean, you know, he's won a lot of championships. Like, man, this thing is like the, like, only a nitro car is louder. Legit. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, they're they're angry sounding pieces. That's for sure. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, kind of going off of that. I want to get your take on this and we, we kind of vaguely brushed on the outside of it so far as the, uh, the technology we've seen with these cars, you know, and you talk about doing the 660 foot wheel stands. Well, that doesn't happen anymore because you've figured out how not to do it and how to go faster. What's again, this is like, what's it been like for you to be part of this like technological revolution from where you started back in the day to now? Yeah, go from uh, clicking little digisets to to figuring out power to managing it all through a laptop has been uh, it's neat. Um, you have a lot more control. Uh, us us switching over to the uh, Motec a couple of years ago. Jimmy did it in uh, the next year. We had to do it just because I saw the advantages. The following year, um, Brandon had been talking about his M150 program that he was developing. And all the cool things that it had, I literally called him and said, hey, all the wiring's out of the car. What do we need to do? What? All the wiring's out of the car. What do we need to do to get this M150 in? I don't have it done yet. Well, get it done. we got to race in four weeks. <laughs> <laughs> we put a load of pressure on him. He uh, 
he and the engineers from Motec got that thing uh, running and right, won the first race out the box. The control level that we have and the ability to do things in a nanosecond that you were, you just, you couldn't think about doing five years ago is unbelievable. The things that we have control of now is unreal. Unreal. That that's that's one car that probably has the best traction control system on the market available to us. You don't have to use it. You know, it's very interesting that you mentioned the the, the key word there is control. Because as I, you know, you walk through the pits and you know, you'll see a like you know a roots blown car that might still be you know going all mechanical, not EFI. And these days, that's like you know Stone Age technology, and it comes down to control. The level of control that tuners and drivers have now is practically unfathomable. What you can do with this stuff? Yeah, it's um, it's light years above where you really thought you would be five years ago. And five years ago, you thought you had. 10 times better stuff than you could ever imagine. Um, cool technology. And there's, there's a lot of them out there that do a lot of really good stuff. We, we run the Motec stuff and, and Brandon has developed it. And then the cool thing is, is with Brandon developing it, he knows more about it than anybody around. So he's able to adjust on the fly. If we want to do something at the racetrack, he puts his head together uh, at Bradenton, him and PRS sat down and put their heads together and really found a cool way to run uh, the shocks in the car. So that really helped with an advantage. And that's a MoTeC system controlling the shocks. So, you know, you, you take it down to the, the microcosms of the car. We can control everything on that car with the little MoTeC M150 box. And yet that's what's just so mind-blowing now with what people can, like, you know, you got sensors watching sensors at this mm -hmm. point. And, you know, you, I think it's a big kind of another thing to look at that is you don't see guys tearing some stuff up nearly as much again because of the safety things that you can build into these that, you know, you practically dummy-proof them. And the level of control you can have over everything, it's... You know, I, for my, my bracket car, we've got a fuel tech in it. And just playing around with that, I'm like, there's so much that you can adjust on these that you can get, you know, you can get buried in the weeds real quick if you don't know what you're looking at. Yeah, well, I think that's the downside to it is uh, if, if you're not smart enough to walk away from, you'll always adjust one thing and then adjust another to compensate. Well, what did you accomplish if you adjusted one thing to gain and you adjusted another thing to, to you know, travel it the other way. That's where Brandon, I think I'm okay at getting cars down the racetrack and making them go and, and they're fairly fast. Well, if Brandon steps behind it, if I made a, just say a 375 run, Brandon would walk into the computer and it would be a 370 run. It wouldn't even be close just because of the little parts and pieces that he plays with on a run that make everything sing so much better. Yeah, and that's that's again, it's just the the ability to use that technology to your advantage because data is useless unless you know what to do with it. You can have the best race pack set up with you know fifty thousand dollars worth of sensors, but it's exactly like you said. If you're over adjusting yourself or not making the right adjustments, you've just got a lot of extra weight and money in the car. Yeah, that's 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 a fact. There's cool 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 thing about the cool kid again, Brandon. It's 
the necessity, that's what you have. And the reason for the necessity and that's what you have is if you have a bunch of the unnecessary parts, you start using them, then how much do they conflict with the absolute necessity of what you need? So we, we have tricks, bells, whistles, cool little things, but all of them are just to make that car as fast as it can be every single run. And there are no other niceties there. No, it's if it doesn't make it go faster, or stop better, it's not getting thrown in the car, right? That's right. And then you, again, like you said, you have to have the knowledge to be able to understand and approach it. And then it comes down to, you know, you know speaking of your, your, your crew members and whatnot, is you got to have the people at this level, honestly, that can, you know, you have your specialty guys that, you know, can do certain things better than others. But it's really important to have a good crew around you for people that, you know, can read, the, you know, not just read the track, but do the, I, I call them the, the routine things that a crew member needs to be able to do just in general to keep one of these cars performing right. Yeah, no, it's, um, you know, it goes down to just, just a simple thing. Uh, when we get back from a run, there's a, a routine piece that three people do. So myself, Joel, and Alex do these three, these, these set of tasks. I do mine, Joel does his, uh, uh, Alex does his. They're done every single time the exact same way. So you know, okay, that's over and done. Even if we have four hours to the next round, duck. On Saturday morning, you're going to run Q4, and on Saturday night, you're going to run E1. There's a eight-hour window. When we get back, 30 minutes after we get back, all the maintenance and routine is done, just like it always is done. And then we'll do anything that we want to do that, you know, freshen the motor anything that is outside of that task order but if you don't have that group of guys to do everything the exact same way then can you can you knowingly say that what i put on that starting line is the exact same thing that i did the last time no that that, that you know that's the you know with our, our company cars you know that's we literally have checklists that you know we have people that have different you know the car chief and crew one crew two and when you get back your job is like when I helped James the first time, he said, you only do these tasks. When you are done with these tasks, go to the car chief. If he needs you to do anything else, he will assign it then. He goes, yep. you just, you have to do this stuff. And it's, it's the little things like that, that really kind of, you know, it, it makes a good team. Great. Yeah. I, I, that's where a lot of our success lies. And that's uh, learned from uh, racing around and with Jimmy. For so many years, that's uh, Eric and Mikey have have done that. And uh, before Mikey was Alan, they, they've always done the exact things every single time. And you just learn that that little bit of work makes you as prepared as you possibly can be for the next run. And that that car that I'm giving Brandon to make all those decisions on is the exact same car he made those decisions on the last round. Here's the interesting thing, too is that I did a story last year up at Norwalk with a super stock racer. I had to sit outside, like he was in his trailer doing his thing for about 15 minutes so he could finish his normal routine. He was very apologetic, super cool, but I was like, man, I understand. Like you, you know, you got back from your run. You've got, you know, he was putting stuff in into to his, you know, his, his weather station data, you know, all that stuff, you know, the Ultronic system. He was checking all that over. His son had already done the the maintenance on the car, but he had the set routine stuff that it had to be before he even ate a ham sandwich. This is what had to be done. 
yeah, it's uh, like on ours when we get back. It goes up on projects. The computer gets plugged in. The, the race pack gets put on. I hand the race pack to Brandon. Brandon downloads the race pack. I walk out and pull the plugs out, hand him the plugs. When I walk back in, the oil pressure, the fuel pressure, and the vacuum is open. I look at it. I know what we have to do outside or if we have to do anything. Then I go back out and run the valves or do whatever else that I have to do. But it's so routine that that is what happens every single time just so we know this yeah. is what we have to do. In a nitrous car especially, you get back in and the pan backs down and it's not the final round. Go pull the heads off of it, slap eight new ones in it, and let's go be the best we can be. Yeah, that's it's funny you mentioned pan vac. I uh, I worked with a guy that was a he had a pretty fast all motor car and like that was legit the first thing he did as soon as that car got back all you know all that data comes up the first thing he goes to is pan vac he goes that tells me how the next x amount of hours are going to go in my life right there that's right that's a fact for for us it's one of those it's how the next hour 45 minutes is going to go and or what if we don't have you know if we got 45 minutes and and everything's not in full song, we don't feel like we have time to drop eight in it, then how much Brandon has to tune up or change the tune-up in the car to make it run the exact same with it being a little weaker. Yeah. Yeah, you've you've got to have a plan to kind of pull around that. And that's, again, that's where the testing and the data comes in because, again, we've been in situations with a car where, you know, we, we – we're looking at the data, what the weather is, what's going on, what the track is, and we're like, all right, well, we're going to have to kind of pull a tune out of somewhere, and you go back to your little log book. You're like, all right, Norwalk, this date, it was this. Let's load that, and that'll give us what we need. Yep, yep. That's that's what it's about. It's making sure the data they're looking at is as accurate as it can be because everything outside that it's plugged into is just the same as it was around before. Yeah. Switching gears a little bit, you know, I always like to, you know, kind of, talk with racers about their experiences and things that they've done and happened. And it's always a fun question to ask small tire racers about this is, you know, what are some of, you know, maybe if you, you remember some of your more sketchy moments where things kind of started to go sideways in a hurry, you know, and, and the stories that kind of surround that, you know, what, what are some of the memorable, you know, situations or, you know, runs you've been in where it didn't go as planned and kind of the, the story around what happened? You know, I've been pretty fortunate. We've put ourselves in pretty good places. I've only had two uh, near misses. Uh, one was Yellow Bullet. Um, gosh, I want to say it was 2017 or 2018. Uh, we went out, car shook a little bit, took the front end up in the air about 300 feet out. I run over the center of the track because the wheels were in there and I couldn't see where I was and dumb enough just to keep my foot into it. And the car's front end snapped to the ground as I'm facing the wall in the opposite lane. Oh, that's always fun. That was the best night of my life. That was a uh, that was a fun ride. Uh, thankfully, didn't hit anything. Uh, luckily, luckily, didn't hit anything. Uh, that was probably the first. That was probably the worst one I've ever had. The other was being down in Orlando um, right after we had put radials on. Oh, well, I did it in Norwalk, too, so... Norwalk was my first lesson. We put 10 pounds on a nose, let go of the button, and I looked right at God and said, that's not the racetrack. <laughs> As it slammed down, I learned a lesson. 10 wasn't enough. Teachable and moment. We, yep. That's a teachable moment. Yeah. 
<laughs> very well wasn't a good enough lesson we went to orlando that same year uh q2 i want to say we let go of the button the thing had the nose up in the air and i thought oh i got the weight right i put 40 pounds on a nose it's perfect just as the lockup came in i went up and saw jesus the back end of the car was two feet off the ground on the uh laser as it was all four wheels off the ground flying through the air and i was like yep that's another lesson. Yeah. <laughs> it's when you got to pull the old line out of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, a little too much dynamite there, Butch. <laughs> yeah, that was just a tad, tad too much. Yeah, and again, you said it's teachable moments. And when you start talking about that, I started thinking like, yeah, Mo really hasn't. Like, I haven't had to do a lot of stories about Mo tearing equipment up, which is a good thing because there's some people that either have bad luck or don't learn the first time they smash their hand. And it's... It's never a fun moment when you go from being a driver to a pilot. Yeah, no. No, the, the lessons in, in radio racing is that you can become a pilot real quick. And, and you, don't, you don't have uh, a lot of people. I, I see a lot of people say, well, why didn't he just lift? He did. He did plenty in time. It just went that fast. Yeah. You know, at 50 feet when you're all four off the ground, get in the car you did that 50 feet in less than 0.8 yeah it's not enough time to think yeah yeah you but by the time you realize something's going wrong it's already like you've already mm. you're the roller coaster has already crested the hill and you're along for the ride that's right you're, you're just a screaming baby at that point and you know when Dwayne mills had his little uh flight I talked to him after the fact and he said, you know, it like it happened so quick and it happened at the worst possible spot where you're not thinking about lifting. It was when all the power was coming in right when the car shifted, like the worst case scenario, there's nothing you can do outside of grab a handful of parachute and, you know, cross your arms on your chest and be ready to either hit something or evasive maneuvers when you make it to the ground if you have control yeah if you're not laying on the wall yeah it's uh it's not a fun it's not a fun thing and generally for the most part i'd have to say that you really don't have the time to react that people would assume that you do and most of the time by the time that thing is up there high enough and i'm telling you when i say high enough you can still visually see the racetrack over the nose of the car and you're out of it, and then it just goes the rest of the way. Yeah, it's uh -oh. that that power's piling in. It's you know you're you're just kind of there at that point. Yeah, that's right. You you literally are. You say pilot, I say passenger. Yeah, that that, that would be a better word because you're basically a pilot is saying that you have control over the situation. You have Correct. you have a rudder, you have an elevator, and you know. And, you know, drag cars are many mystical things, unfortunately, one of which is not built for flight. Yeah, you're yeah, you're a passenger. It's a very good way to put it. Yep. Yeah, they're they're built for downforce, not lift. Yeah. And, and you know, I always tell people that wheelies are fun for everybody that doesn't have to work on the car or pay for the car. That's correct. Because that's correct. The, the, <laughs> I was at an MCA race years ago. One of my friends did a gnarly wheel stand came down about where I was standing along the wall shooting pictures. I felt that car come down through my soul and I knew things were bad when, you know, it was a, it was a 2000 Camaro. When I see part of like the, the, 
you know, an OEM car, like the, the part of the radiator that, you know, that holds a radiator in place, the plastic part is mm-hmm. skididdling down the track. I'm yeah. like, oh, that's, that's, there, there's a, there's a lot, there's a lot that just went wrong there. Oh, it's, you know, you can flatten the tires on my car and the nose of the car will still be off the ground an inch. I broke the nose of my car in Norwalk when it slammed down. Yeah. That's how much violence there is in that thing coming down to the ground. If you're not back in the power at the right time to try to make it somewhat easy. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and what you feel in your body doesn't even compare. No, oh, no. It, uh, I've, I've had in-car GoPros and the radio car that we used to work on. The, the, the sounds it makes inside the car are just... <laughs> It hurts your soul and your bank account. It's like, oh yeah, well, uh, that's it, not good. Yeah, it generally takes the bank account longer to recover than your soul. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's one of those deals where your racers are good at making very poor financial decisions, and it's that one of those points where you're like, oh, this is gonna suck. This is not yeah. gonna be fun. Yep. Or or your uh, chat your chassis guys just sit there going, well, looks like I get to buy a new boat. Yeah. <laughs> work to do Cha-ching. yeah like you, you know it's bad when the chassis guy already tells you i've got your spot already cleared out like That's when right. you call him it's like man he 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 done knew what was up yeah it, our, our boy henry will call uh when's it coming yeah yeah exactly <laughs> how much tube do i need this time yeah that's right or, how bad is it or or my other favorite question i've heard a, a shop ask a person after the fact is how did you do this yeah funny story you know that's usually how that happens explain that again (laughs) yeah now now mo as we wind down here one of the things that i like to do is ask my guests fun questions about you know just anything off the wall kind of deal give them you know would you rather kind of scenarios what if scenarios and whatnot we're gonna give you one where nitrous has been universally outlawed by thanos he just snapped his fingers and nitrous went away what kind of power adder would you use in your Corvette if you no longer had access to nitrous? And you can't say you'd stop racing. You got to keep racing, but you can't yeah. use nitrous. I, I don't know that I'm I'm not the I'm not, not at the age yet where I'd be able to uh, run away from racing. I still have an addiction. You know, to be honest with you, I would have to try to play the uh, pro charge game. It seems like to be the uh, power adder of choice right now, and the one with the most dominance. I think that would be the game you have to play. Makes sense. Yeah, it's. Yeah. I, I I like the uh the the utilitarian point of view with that. You know, you go with what wins. My dumbass would be like, put a screw blower on it. <laughs> well, screw blowers just they're they're way too much work, uh, way too much effort. Uh, I don't mind work or effort, but it just seems like that's senseless work and effort. Um, those guys have it down. Everybody who runs them does a hell of a job. And watching uh, a guy like Todd Tuttero turn those things around every round is. Nothing short of amazing to watch what he does, but no thanks. I, I think the only people in the pits that have more connecting rods than nitrous racers are blower guys. Absolutely. Like bl- bearings and connecting rods. That's just That's right. that that is legit like a routine maintenance item that you have to check because it's you know, it's not a matter of if it's when and how bad and the you know it's funny you mentioned Tutter. I've seen them have to do a uh a quick uh, full rack swap along with a set of heads and a, and a large Coke to go after some bad stuff has happened. Yeah. Well, the other things, I mean, if you've, if you've ever stood beside one after they, uh, they 
I don't know what they're doing. They, they make some noise right before they pull up to the starting line, and you listen to them lift out of the throttle. It sounds like a bag of bolts got thrown down the intake, and those things are just rattling in there, and you're like, good Lord, when's that thing coming? They're built to come apart. Yeah. It's it's it's, uh, it's technical tolerances. <laughs> yeah, that's and one way it, to look at it. It's also fun when you're, you know, you're working on the live feed and your trailer's at about the eighth mile mark, and you hear one of those blower cars that has the 559 foot tune up in it. And yeah. when it goes through the lights, all of a sudden it starts making noises. that's not supposed to make. And you have to tell your camera guys, just go ahead and grab a break. This is going to take a minute because you know, at some point the, uh, the connecting rods have taken the hurricane evacuation route out the side of the block and God knows what else. That's right. Yep. They're like I said, they're, they're, they're made to come apart. It's just when. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not a matter of if it's when and how bad, right? <laughs> that's right. Well, Mo, our time here has come to an end, and I like to give my guests their opportunity to, uh, you know, channel their inner John Force and thank all their sponsors and tell people where they can uh, learn about what's going on with their race program and where they're going to be racing at. So uh, I'll turn the floor over to you, my friend, and you can uh, tell people uh, what you got going on and who you need to thank. Yep. Uh, our next race is uh, Sweet 16. Hopefully we can go back here and repeat. Um, got to thank the boys, Alex and Joel, for everything they do. Uh, Jimmy, Kathy, Mikey, and Eric, uh, especially Eric when he runs with us. Uh, those guys are great to work with. Hank Henry, our uh, chassis guy, our builder. Uh, he's given me nothing but great cars to work with. Brandon Schweitzer, uh, RV Carries Plumbing and, and uh, Carries Mechanical for everything they do for us. Mickey Thompson Tires and all the folks who help us out. Awesome, Mel. Great to talk with you, and uh, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll talk again soon. Sounds good, man.